Hey, Naturalists. I'm Emily. I'm Andy. And welcome back to your very first 2023 summer sode. We're happy to be here. We miss you guys. We got a fun episode planned for you today. Yeah, it's a little different than what we usually do. I guess, I first of all, I should say, I'm so proud of you. You know, this is our third year of doing the summer sodes. And I didn't have to entice you to say summer so you just did it all on your own. Congratulations. I know. I you I gave conceded. <laughs> I conceded. <laughs> so uh what are we doing today? Well, today we decided to revisit some of our favorite unsolved cases that we have covered on the podcast so far to give you guys some updates if there are any or just revisit the story see if we've come up with any additional theories since then i don't know just kind of a fun little walk down on natural memory lane yeah and i didn't realize how many unsolved cases we've done until you know we kind of did an overview of this but there certainly have been some developments so yeah we thought it would be kind of interesting to get into it. So what do you say? Should we get into it? Let's. Yes. Let's start off with a trip down memory lane back to episode 38. This one aired in February of last year, and it was titled The Vanishing of Tom Messick. Do you remember that one, Emily? I want to say yes, but no. Okay, I'll give you a brief overview, and we're probably going to have to do this each and every time here. But uh, Tom Messick was an 82-year-old man who lived in upstate New York. Oh, he's the guy that disappeared mysteriously in the mountains. Now I'm yeah. not okay. Carry on. Yeah. November of 2015, and he was on a hunting trip with a bunch of other guys. Some of the guys were around mm-hmm. his age. It's all coming back to me now. There were a lot of theories as to what happened, but Tom was out in the woods hunting. He was about 200 yards or so from the next guy who was closest, they all kind of spread out about 200 yards. And when they called it a night, nobody could find Tom Messick. There were a lot of theories as to what may have happened. We explored some of them. One of them was a sinkhole. Maybe he somehow got into a sinkhole or fell into a cave, something like that. We also dabbled into the paranormal side of things, but I have found a few other theories as to what on earth happened to Tom Messick because, you know, we're going on eight years now and there's still nothing that's come out. There's been no sign of him. Nobody has found his body. I watched a few videos on YouTube and one of them explored that maybe 
Tom, who was an avid hunter, but did have, you know, some mobility issues and some hearing issues in his elderly age, may have had an accidental death, and it was possibly allegedly covered up. Hmm. Some other people have surmised that Tom Messick may have staged his own death. Now, you might wonder why in the heck would an 82-year-old man stage his own death like that? I can't corroborate this, but there are rumors that Tom had a brother who vanished under similar circumstances just 10 years prior, and that maybe Tom went to be with his brother, and they both staged their own death. It seems a bit far-fetched, but again, nobody's seen hide nor hair of Tom, so all options are kind of on the table here. Other people have said that maybe Tom Messick took his own life, and that that was possibly covered up by his family. Well, didn't we talk about how like these mountain ranges and like cave systems also just happen to have like a very concentrated amount of missing persons they do far more than you would suspect and it happens quite often in fact in that episode and we I don't think that's a coincidence no and not just for accidents no but- there's well now that we know that aliens exist allegedly maybe allegedly maybe i mean the guy was under oath but as somebody told me earlier because nobody's ever lied on i know before. that's exactly what i was gonna say i i think people have lied under oath before so who knows but but also if you really want to get into it we could talk about like parallel universes and actually the the video that i watched and Really get great YouTubers. Uh, their name is The Lore Lodge. They kind of explored all of that. They went out to the woods where Tom Messick vanished. Mm-hmm. They mm-hmm. spoke with a number of the locals. And actually, a number of the locals, they seem to have the view that Tom Messick never went out to the woods in the first place. So they think all of this was staged by the hunting party and his family. Now, there's no evidence to support that, but it is always interesting to get, you know, some insight as to what the locals think. Hmm. So, yeah, that's what we have on Tom Messick. And if you want to... My little conspiracy theory loving brain is just... Hmm. That one is perfect for the conspiracy lovers out there. That's for sure. So what do you have for your first one? Okay, so next up, we are going to have a quick update chat about, if you remember all the way back from November of 2021, episode 25, Um, We talked about the mysterious death of Ellen Greenberg. Mm. Now, if you don't remember, or even if you do, so Ellen was um, 27 years old at the time she died. She was a teacher. She was super happy. She was super vibrant. She was dating a man named Sam Goldberg. I believe they were engaged, if memory serves. Um, 
But like he came home one night, specifically January 26th, 2011. So he comes home and he finds Ellen bloody and collapsed on the floor of their kitchen. And homicide investigations at the time were like, "Mm, this is a little, this is a little suspicious. But the case was closed and officially ruled as a suicide in February of that year. But if you remember, she had... Oh, yeah. It was 20 stab wounds. She had, yeah, over 20 stab wounds on the back of her head, her neck, like her back. Yeah. So... And if I remember I right, you and I, I think even you and I were in agreement that this this does not sound like a suicide, not even close. And correct me if I'm wrong, but up until the time we recorded, there was still a lot of back and forth between uh, the police department and the family as to whether or not they would open it as a homicide investigation. Yeah, so pretty much ever since she died, 12, almost 12 years ago, her family um, has maintained that there is no way she killed herself. Even, and I remember even we talked about like suicide methodology and how stabbing yourself in the back of the head, the neck, is that many times impossible. is. Well, it's not impossible. It's improbable and highly unlikely, especially for a woman who's going who's unaliving herself. Right. So I did find, and I know that like the family has been pushing for this to be reopened. There was talks that it was going to be reopened and re- reinvestigated. In a recent article that I read um, in the Daily Mail, her Ellen's family are demanding basically, that the case be reopened because her uh, fiancé, Sam, at the time, his father allegedly donated to the Pennsylvania attorney general before he, like, excused himself from the case. If, like, my understanding of just kind of doing a quick peruse through this is correct, Sam's father was an attorney or, like, was the attorney general at the time or something. I'm, I'm sorry, I did not fact check myself on this very well that's interesting though that's interesting that a big donation comes in right before he recuses himself yeah yeah there has been multiple autopsies done Uh, i think her family had like their their own autopsy done on her and those findings like essentially kind of said like yeah this was this was a homicide and there were injuries on her body that were consistent with like past abuse like old bruises were healing that sort of thing and this autopsy report said that she had quote suffered a huge laceration to the back of her head and that she would cut she was covered in bruises in different stages of healing Mm -hmm. so ellen's father said um Quote, that's what I think the whole issue of this story is. Somebody didn't want Ellen's abuse to get out there, and that's why she's dead. So he told that to Fox News a while ago. Um, Still, as far as I understand, 
the case has not officially been reopened. Officials are still maintaining that they found no evidence of foul play in her death, which just doesn't make sense to me. Um, I mean, we know that cops don't like to admit when they mess up. Lawyers Mm -hmm. and attorney generals do not like to admit when they mess up. But the fact of the matter is, is that they probably did. And Ellen probably did not do this to herself. And whoever did do it is still out there. Yeah. Um, I think a lot of fingers have pointed to Sam, her fiance, at the time. He's just kind of gone on and lived his life. And that's certainly kind of the picture that is painted if you go back and listen to that episode that was done. It seems pretty damning on his part if she was, in fact, murdered. Yeah, so there is a petition out there asking for the Pennsylvania or Philadelphia mayor, Jim Kenney, to reopen the investigation into her case. And last I looked, it had well over 150,000 signatures. It sounds like um, multiple news sources have been trying to reach out to the mayor and the governor's office, but they're not hearing anything back. I'm sure they don't really give a shit. Yeah. Yeah, so. That's where that's at right now. Okay. That's where that's at. Um, I really hope that, you know, something is able something is able to come of this and she is able to get justice. And I really hope, I mean. That the family know, can you get closure, sh- you know. Yeah. And someone will answer for their crimes. Like, I still, I can't get over the fact, like, may, okay, maybe if she had a bunch of stab wounds, like, in her stomach or like her front. Okay, maybe. Yeah. But these are all over her back and her head and her neck. Seems pretty damn unlikely. Yeah. And from what I remember, I believe there has been like investigations and uh, recreations Mm -hmm. of how exactly that would work. And it is, it is very, it's not impossible, but it's very improbable that she did that. Well, and kind of piggybacking off of that, another case that initially authorities in Mexico said was just a random accidental death and not a homicide now has definitely moved towards a homicide. Now, you might be a little bit more familiar with this case since uh, we covered it in January of this year, episode 80. Mm -hmm. It was the bizarre death of Elliot Blair. And Emily Elliot died while he was on vacation with his wife at a Mexican resort. It was a resort they had been to many times. He was actually celebrating his one-year anniversary and Uh, Police and the resort staff said that he fell. Now, his wife was sleeping at the time. She was frantically woken up by the Mexican police saying, your husband's had an accident. He's fallen. He's he's dead. So she was not awake when this went down. We did do an update and they fought to get his body extradited back to the United States to do an autopsy. And Mm -hmm. that autopsy did determine that he was bludgeoned to death. He was murdered. And 
something else that I found recently while I was looking into this that we did not put on the episode, his wife actually said that the pair of them were extorted by Mexican police just hours before his death. I have an article here. This is from KTLA News uh, down in Los Angeles. Elliot's wife, Kimberly Williams, gave this account. Uh, She also is a lawyer in Orange County, California. She had said that her and her husband had gone out for dinner, drinks, and dancing that night. And when they were driving back to the resort, they were pulled over by police in Rosarito, Mexico, and actually shaken down for money for allegedly running a stop sign. So here's what she said, quote, Elliot had told them, we don't have the amount of cash you want. The officer came up and started talking to us and asked us where we were staying. Williams said that uh, her husband did tell the Mexican police that they were vacationing at the Las Rocas Resort. She said, quote, Elliot kind of stood his ground, showed him his work badge and said, look, we're attorneys. We're not down here to mess around, but we're also not going to be taken advantage of. She said that they eventually took about $160 from their wallets. And then they drove back to the lobby of their resort. And it was just a matter of hours later that Elliot was bludgeoned to death. Absolutely insane. That's kind of where we're at with this one right now. Um, Obviously, it's still very tricky because it's another country. And, you know, coroners in one country are saying that his death was accidental, while coroners in another country are saying he was murdered. Yeah. I don't know what's going to come of this. It's probably going to be, unfortunately, a years-long legal struggle, but it'll be something that we keep you posted on in future episodes. Yeah. Speaking of years-long legal struggles, let's talk about Brian Koberger and the four Idaho University students that he... Oh, the Idaho murders. Yeah. Yeah. So if you remember back in back in November, four students, Ethan Chapin, 20 years old, um, Madison Mogan was 21, Zana Kurdotal, 20, and Kaylee Goncalves, 21, were all found stabbed to death in their home. Yeah. And this was a huge story. Yeah, a huge story. It took the world by storm. Luckily, the police were able to zero in on the suspect pretty quickly. And he was identified as Brian Kohlberger. And I haven't really heard a whole lot since then. That's because really, from my understanding, not a lot has happened. I think the last time we talked about this and did an update was when he was indicted. Yeah. Uh, like officially indicted on these charges, but it's um, hasn't like 
gone to trial yet. And most recently, honestly, just as of um, July 25th, which is just a few days ago, his lawyers are looking for a dismissal. Oh. And they say that the um, grand jury who indicted him, uh, this is what this article says, quote, The grand jury should have been instructed that the standard of proof based on what was presented to them is beyond a reasonable doubt, but they were not given that instructions. So that's what his lawyers say. They say instead, this is a quote, instead, the filings claim that they were given the standard of proof required for a presentment, which the filing claims is having a reasonable ground for believing that the particular individual has committed a certain offense. And because the grand jury was allegedly told they could indict on a lower standard of proof, his lawyers want that indictment dismissed. So his lawyer, my understanding of how this is all going down is his lawyers are like, well, the jury was showed a bunch of evidence that pointed to like, yeah, he committed like he did this. He did it. Here's the proof. Yeah. Which isn't that proving I don't know. I don't know enough about the legal jargon to know if that is out of bounds. But his lawyers are basically arguing that they were led to believe something in a certain direction, which I would think that you would have to believe that someone probably did this in order to indict them. Yeah. So that doesn't really make a whole lot of sense. So are they are they trying to get it all thrown out or? Yeah, they are trying to get it all thrown out. I think it's because um, they were looking for this to be a death penalty case. Yeah. Which, rightfully so, he broke into a house and murdered four people. Yeah. And the two girls that survived, um, I didn't, I, I saw like one kind of like interview or maybe they put out a statement. I don't know, but they are just like very shaken up. They want justice for their friend. Um, but if you remember back from when we kind of first initially talked about this, they didn't really see anything like they didn't see Brian's face. Um, they saw like a masked man. But, um, if you remember from some of the evidence, I believe they had DNA, they had his, uh, car, his car was seen in the area around the same time on, um, like security cameras on either houses or businesses, street cameras, right. even maybe I'm not a hundred percent sure. They they really haven't released a lot of information from what I found. Um, I think I think you know they're trying to keep it really close to the chest, and probably so the de- defense team don't have a lot to come back at. You right. Know? Yeah, there, there's always kind of a chess game that's going on between the prosecution and the defense, even before the trial starts. So that might be what we're seeing here. Yeah. And um, the like article that I read that was published um, on Friday, I think they had said, let's see, um, the trial uh, was scheduled to start October 2nd of this year. So pretty soon, just in what, three months? Yeah. Just about. Okay. So we'll probably have, we'll have another update. I plan if, 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 
they televise it. I plan on watching it. Yeah. For sure. So we can give you some little updates along the way once that gets started, if it gets started, I guess, because it sounds like the defense is really just trying to pull whatever they can out of their little hats to prevent all of this from happening Mm -hmm. Um, because he did plead not guilty. Obviously Um, he's, he's maintaining his innocence. Um, But I am really interested in seeing what all the prosecution has against him. Yeah, me too. Because there's a lot. There is a whole lot. And like you said, that was a case that gripped the entire nation back in late 2022 early 2023 so it'll be interesting to see yeah what i think comes we did kind of like a special episode yeah about it yeah january 9th well this one goes back a little bit further but now there looks like there's going to be some clarity with this back in episode 50 I told you about the case of the Long Island serial killer. And I'm not sure if you've seen in recent weeks the developments with this one, Emily. Uh, But a man was apprehended. Yeah, a guy was apprehended for this uh, and arrested. Now, the route I took with this episode was based on the death of Shannon Gilbert, where they even made a movie about her death and the movie surmises that her death could be linked to the other girl's deaths because she was the first one that was found in that area. Well, now they're saying that Shannon might have been killed by someone else, but the man who allegedly killed the other girls has been apprehended and his name is Rex Hewerman a 59-year-old architect who lives in Nassau County. He was charged with killing three women, and he's also the prime suspect in the death of a fourth woman. That doesn't, again, that doesn't account for all the bodies that were found, but it does sound like they're, you know, getting closer to at least convicting someone of these horrible murders that happened back in the late 2000s, early 2010s. I remember when I got the news and I said, oh my God, they finally got the guy. And it was not exactly the guy that a lot of people were thinking of. So it'll be interesting to see what develops with the trial and whatnot. And that's another one we'll keep you posted on in the months to come here. Yeah, absolutely. I did listen to an interview between NPR's Mary Louise Kelly and a reporter for the Chicago Tribune, Stacey St. Clair, just not that long ago about the Chicago Tylenol murders. Oh, which yeah. You should remember because we covered this just two episodes ago. Two episodes ago. <laughs> But I'll just give you the quick lowdown. Back in 1982, seven people died after taking um, Tylenol capsules that had been laced with potassium cyanide. Um, they, They all died. Three of them were members of the same family, which is kind of insane to me and really yeah. sad, but. Um, I guess it would make sense if you have no idea why your loved one 
died. Just keep taking the same medicine. And then, you know, you're having a hard time. So you just, yeah, you just grab the Tylenol off the shelf and boom. Um, but nobody was ever charged. We did talk about a couple of the big prime suspects. And one of them, James Lewis, died. I did hear about that. So um, earlier in July, he was 76 um, he maintained his innocence throughout, but if you remember, he was the guy that had sent a letter stating that if his demands were met, that he would stop lacing yeah. Tylenol with the cyanide. And then he was like, haha, I was just kidding. But I think if I'm remembering right without looking at my notes, we did discover that the letter was postmarked after news broke, right? but very shortly after. So, like, he would have had to know about it right away. Yeah. And then write a letter? That still seems a little weird Mm -hmm. to me. But if he is the one that did it, and they do finally determine that it was him... You know, we've seen that in previous cases where, you know, the perpetrator is already dead when they figure out that it was them who did it. It's yeah. a little bittersweet. Or they're very, they're very old yeah. and close to death anyway. Yeah. So, like, they still got to live their whole lives pretty much. Yeah, without being persecuted. Like, I mean, with without going to jail or anything. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he, let's, let's just say for argument's sake he is the one who did it um even if he was still alive he basically got to spend the rest their like the best years of his life out and about living being married because he was 76 when he died and this happened in 1982 40 years ago yeah so i know that it's 40 years ago because i'm 40 and that happened right before I was born. So, <laughs> oh, I talked to my parents about this. I was like, "Hey, do you remember when that happened? Were you scared? Did you take Tylenol?" Yeah. What did they say? They remembered it, hmm. like when it was happening, but they yeah. like didn't say like we don't know if we just like boycotted Tylenol. I don't know. It was forty years ago. My mom was working as as a nurse at the time, and she remembers that mine was too. She told me that for years after that, people would not want to take Tylenol when they were at the hospital and they needed it just because the fear was so palpable then that it resonated with people for, you know, damn near a decade after. I mean, it resonated. I mean, you know, as, as awful as it is, some good came out of it. Yeah. Tamper-proof packaging, right? Have you ever have you ever bought something that seemed like, like it was tampered with? Yeah, I think there have been a few times where I've taken something back because the cap was clearly messed with, or the packaging had been messed with before. But I mean, it gives me an, especially if it's medication. I don't want to mess with that. Yeah, you know. Yeah, I don't think that's ever happened to me, but. But isn't it just kind of like wild to think about? I mean, like you and I obviously grew up with tamper-proof packaging. So it's really hard to like imagine that you could just grab a bottle of Tylenol, open it up, and there's no no seal on it. It's just 
It, That's so weird. It's just, it's just, you know, more proof of a simpler bygone era that's gone, you know, just like all the stories we do about people that are traveling in the airport back in the day and they don't have to go through security or anything like that until 9-11 happened I, and that changed everything. I know. And I'm coming up on like my very first flying by myself trip and Aww. like navigating airport security is for whatever reason just giving me so much anxiety so yeah you're going to be doing that in between the time when people hear this and when we come back for season four so you'll have to tell us how it goes when when we start season four yeah. so let's go back to early last season when we covered the ongoing investigation into the death of irene gakwa now, if you remember, Emily, Irene moved to Boise, Idaho in 2019 from her native Kenya to study nursing. It's a hell of a long trip. She had some brothers who lived nearby. She spent some time with them. Then she met a guy and they started dating so she was dating this man by the name of Nathan Heitman in his late 30s. And in February of 2022, they had a falling out. Nathan claimed that she just left him and he never heard from her again. But she went missing and nobody's been able to find her since. And sadly, Nathan was not charged in her death there just was apparently not enough evidence to charge to arrest him but he is going to prison and this just came out last month and i'm taking this from a people magazine article where it says the boyfriend of missing nurse irene gakwa has been jailed for six years after admitting that he stole her money before she vanished. And an excerpt of this says, the boyfriend of Wyoming nursing student Irene Gakwa will spend up to six years in prison and will have to pay $13,200 in fines and restitution after he pled guilty to stealing her money, using her credit cards, and deleting her email accounts after she went missing in 2022. We talked about this in the podcast that mm -hmm. her email account had been deleted, that her credit cards were still being used. And by all accounts, it looked like Nathan was the one doing that. And sure enough, it looks like he was because he's pleading guilty to that. Now, that doesn't mean that he killed her, but it certainly doesn't look good for him. Um, and maybe that will lead to further inquiries as to what happened between the two of them. We'll just have to wait and see, but at least he's been arrested and he's in jail now.
are you intrigued by the dark side of things like murder, kidnapping, and sex cults? What about when the criminal is your favorite musician or actor or director or writer? Hollywood might look like all glitz and glamour until you take a closer look. But I'll tell you one thing, that kind of point of view can make you more vulnerable. From Roman Polanski to Mackenzie Phillips to Judith Barcy to Kurt Cobain, some are predators and some are prey. I'm Dee Dee West, and I just might ruin your childhood. Follow my podcast, Broken Limelight, where I cover celebrity true crime stories. For more information, visit BrokenLimelight.com. Again, that's Broken Limelight. Follow it on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or anywhere you listen to your favorite podcasts. I actually have some happy news for us, and this is the last update that I have. This case is kind of unsolved, kind of not. So if you remember back to episode 70, back in November, November 9th, we talked about the mysterious murder at Minnesota Point. And uh, this was an old case, which... I said it then, I'll say it now. I love an old, old case. You remember in 1894 in Duluth, Minnesota, a deceased woman was found with her body likely dumped in some driftwood. Um, That led to a nationwide manhunt, a nationwide, a statewide search for her identity. And she was eventually identified as young Lena Olson. Um, she, her parents were immigrants. She worked kind of as like a temp or a servant until she met a man who she thought was rich. They got married. They went to Duluth for like a weekend honeymoon yeah, type situation because at this right. point in time, Duluth was Duluth was a relatively new city. Yeah, um, it's not like what it is today. And we found that her likely killer was in a lot of legal trouble. There were a few other murders he was accused of. There was some theft. There was some gambling debt. It was a whole thing. Mm -hmm. Um, And when he was finally identified and apprehended, um, he unalived himself in his cell before he never confessed to anything there was no trial he just said peace out which if you ask me that's an ambition of the guilt yep that usually is anyway um a an author wrote uh did a lot of research he wrote an amazing book about lena and her story and i looked on his facebook page and this is the update that um he posted on july 23rd the post reads okay i am pleased to announce that lakewood cemetery in minneapolis recently installed a gravestone for lena olson nearly 129 years after her burial lena is finally honored thanks to the numerous donors and the cemetery which graces graciously waived the installation fee. 
One of my goals when writing Murder at Minnesota Point was to honor her life and reaffirm that she is not forgotten. I encourage those interested to stop by and pay their respects. Lena's grave can be found in section PG-11, row 12, grave 8. Um, at the cemetery in Minneapolis, he just kind of has some more information on where her grave is located. Um, so when he wrote the book, he said that he was going to use some of the proceeds to pay for this headstone because wow. she, even though after she was identified and she was returned home to Minneapolis, she was buried in an unmarked grave. And I, I assumed it was probably because, um, her family at the time probably couldn't afford anything yeah. for her. Um, but she has a headstone now and I think that's, that's really amazing. You know, that that really is a happy ending to an otherwise tragic story from so long ago. And it's good that um, finally a little bit of closure in this. I wish we could have yeah. ended with that one because Maybe. <laughs> uh, my final case does not have closure here. This case is, I would say it's probably the biggest reason as to why I wanted to be part of this podcast when you first brought the idea up to me way back in late 2020. As you know, this one hits close to home for me, really on a personal level, um, but it's the story of Elizabeth Collins and Lyric Cook. They were two young Iowa girls riding their bikes on a warm summer day when they didn't turn up at home, their families alerted local authorities who initiated a massive search for the eight and 10 year olds. Days turned into weeks, weeks turned into months until finally a break in the case came in a park that was, you know, 15, 20 miles from where they were abducted, their bodies were found. Now that was 11 years ago. And there still hasn't been a suspect. There still hasn't been an arrest. Nothing. And this is one of the largest, if not the largest, investigation in the history of the state of Iowa. It just seems kind of weird that nothing's come yeah. of it. And as you can imagine, the family members are, you know, pretty frustrated. The whole community is. Uh, we were lucky enough to talk to Drew Collins. And yeah. That's still one of my favorite just kind of like interview episodes that we've done. Yeah. And what a guy, you know, and he's still persevering. The Elizabeth Collins Foundation is still going strong, but they still have yet to get some answers. Um, I do have a little information here. This was an article that came out uh, shortly. Well, actually, it was just um, earlier in July at the 11th anniversary of their disappearance from a local news station KCCI in Des Moines. One important point of note here that I believe we covered in the three-part series that we did, which was last year, episodes 52 through 54, authorities never revealed the cause of death to the public in this case. Any idea why they would never have done that, Emily? 
Probably. My assumption is to, like, if they find a suspect or somebody decides to confess, like, they have that guilt knowledge and it's not because it was released to the public. Yeah, you're on the right track. It's because they believe that only the killer would really know this information. Only the killer would know how they died. For example, a couple people have made false confessions to the murders over the years. Which is so fucking weird. Isn't it? Dude. I don't know if it's for attention or what, but a couple people have made false confessions and it was determined that they did not have anything to do with it because they didn't say they they didn't correctly identify how the girls died. Federal authorities and the local police in Evansdale, they believe that the killer is somebody who is pretty familiar with the town of Evansdale, and they likely saw a window of opportunity where they could kidnap and kill them. Investigators, they also said that the um, perpetrator in this case may have also attempted to abduct children in the past or maybe since this happened, have also attempted to abduct children. That probably leads me to what I told you about off the air. I decided to do some crowdsourcing for this. And there's a fantastic group on Facebook. It's called the Evansdale Murders. And not only are people there giving each other comforts and, you know, just posting memories of the girls, but they are also posting theories and talking about the investigation. And I put something out on there just a few days back. And I said, you know, hey, we did this podcast a year ago. We're going to revisit it here. What do you think happened? What do you think's going on with the investigation here? And um, a lot of people gave me a, an abundance of different answers here, Emily. And some of them I'm not able to share because it's just speculation. Right. But they did name names to me. And these, mm. these are men who are in prison right now for other crimes, other crimes against children who they believe may have had something to do with this. Something important to keep in mind here. Lyric's parents, Dan and Misty Morrissey, they also had a cloud of suspicion that was over them for quite some time. And I also told you off the air, I don't think they had anything to do with this. They did both receive prison sentences for unrelated drug charges. Misty is since out and is rehabilitated now. But unfortunately for them, at the time of the, their involvement with drugs kind of fueled some speculation on this matter. Um, and yeah, I remember that. A lot of people still, you know, kind of cling to that. The Iowa Division of Criminal Investigation said it uh, has followed up on 2,000 leads in this case. They're also still monitoring sex offenders in and around the Evansdale and surrounding areas. One of them around 2017 was a man by the name of Jeff Altmaier, and investigators looked into him. He was charged with trying to entice children in Jasper, Morona, 
in Grundy County, Iowa, by offering them $100 to get into his van. Court records do show that he was, at the time, working as a traveling automobile damage field inspector. Again, probably unrelated, but definitely something that investigators are looking into. They also looked into the Delphi murders. Yeah, I was just going to bring that up. Like, we have, like, someone's been arrested for that. So, there's... Like, if that one can be solved, I feel like there's definitely hope for Lyric and Elizabeth, too. Absolutely. Now, some people go as far as, you know, thinking that the person that committed the Delphi murders was the same. Investigators have shut that down. Even Drew Collins, the father of Elizabeth, has shut that down. Uh, Remember, it's most likely that it was somebody who lived or lives in this area that was familiar with the area, especially where the girls' yeah. bodies were found. Well, and the Delphi guy was local and remained yep. local, which is right nuts to me. Yeah. But 11 years, no arrests have been made. I feel like I'm probably going to do another standalone episode on this because there's just so much more out there to look into and um you know a lot of different theories being tossed around and it just feels like it's still open-ended but as you said because of you know recent cases that have you know came to a conclusion and had a arrests made this could still very well lead to an arrest in the very near future and It's something that um, we'll keep you posted on. Another person um, answered, and uh, as to the question I asked about uh, what questions do you want answered from investigators, she said, was their DNA left behind and was it tested? Did they check the nearby towers for cell phone pings? All camera footage in the area. She has a good point, and we don't have a lot of answers to that. As to the question that I posed, what theories do you have as to what happened that day? She says, we kind of know what happened. Maybe, quote, get me the money or they're dead. Not sure how how all that works. Uh, She goes on to say she believes that Misty or Dan's drug dealers were responsible for this. That is one of the theories that's floated around since this happened yeah okay so here's i don't know this area well um but are these drug dealers that are here this big time that they're gonna kill children to get money exactly here some of the um some of the theories I feel like even most like mobs and like actually bad people like that yeah don't use children as collateral like if you owe them money and you're not paying up they're gonna fucking kill you right I tend to not two little girls no and I agree with you on that for whatever reason that has been probably the underlying conspiracy that has kind of floated around that area ever since the girls died. And I think you're right. I think 
that's very unlikely. A lot of the people in the area think that it is tied all the way to the Mexican drug cartels. And in my estimation, it, with the amount of money that those cartels are making, some small town, small potatoes drug dealer in Iowa is probably pretty insignificant to them. Certainly wouldn't be, it wouldn't warrant them coming to Iowa. Mm -hmm. I feel like my minimal understanding of like drug cartels and all of that is like, like if they're, if they're going to kill an innocent child, it's going to be the child of like a major player. Right. No, I I 100% agree with you. And I think that's been one of the rumors that's just kind of been sitting yeah, there for this like whole time. Yeah, but it's just like silly if you think about it. Like, take a minute. Take a minute. Okay. Um, think about what you're saying. And then perhaps reconsider. Well, and I think that's why it's good to get um, your perspective on this and maybe our listeners' perspective as well, because everybody that lives in that area, they've been inundated with this information for years now, and a lot of them have just come to believe it. But somebody yeah. looking at it from the outside like yourself, I think can be a little bit more reasonable about it. Right. But that's where the case stands right now. Still no suspect, no person of interest. Hopefully that'll change soon. Um, but yeah, there we go. Our top unsolved cases. And, you know, there's a few good ones in there, like you said, with your Minnesota points and the apprehension of the alleged Long Island serial killer. So maybe we'll have some more of these down the road. I think we sure will. This was longer than I thought it would be. Wow. Well, good. You know what? They deserved a long episode because it's been a while since we've been on the podcast here, but we're coming back in September. We'll be back every week. Yeah. In September. And our listeners get to hear all about your vacation. Wake me up when September begins. <laughs> the remix. Because unnatural. We'll be back. We, we've got a couple ideas that we're floating around, too. I, I don't think we should talk about them on the airwaves yet, but a few... I don't know what the ideas are, so... We just talked about them yesterday. <laughs> Maybe some live episodes. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Got it. A couple of other things <laughs> that we might have cooking for you as well, but... Well, it's been fun doing this summer. you'll have to stick around to find out. Yeah, absolutely. But... And in the meantime, we are still active on the socials, not Twitter. You mean X. X. <laughs> Whatever the hell Elon wants to call it right now. Uh, yeah, he doesn't even know what to like name his own children. So why should we true. believe that he knows what to name are, an app? Um, are we going to? Like, we, have, we have a Twitter account or an X account, but uh, don't use it. What about threads? Uh, but. You know, I haven't started a Threads account. I've actually heard know. it's kind of positive on there, at least right now. Yeah, it's not like an insane cesspool, cesspool of weirdness like Twitter. Anyway, um, come hang out with us on Instagram and maybe Threads. 
at Unnatural the Podcast. We have a Facebook page, Unnatural a True Crime Podcast. You can also send us a Gmail, unnaturalthepodcast at gmail.com. Um, I would plug our Patreon, but I think we're going to go away from Patreon and I have other ideas for Ooh. how you guys can get some exclusive um, content and also support us so stay tuned for that but definitely come hang out with us on instagram um i'm definitely gonna try and get us to be more active on there Um, but we would love to hear from you love to hear your ideas and as always be sure to rate subscribe follow and share us with your friends we'll talk to you maybe next month yeah sometime in september because this comes out in yeah this comes out in august see right now as we're recording it's july late july yeah it's July 30th right now as I'm talking to you. So you will be hearing this in early the August. This is the past. <laughs> this is the past talking to you, actually. So talking we'll talk to, to me. Sometime <laughs> soon. Yeah. And we'll keep you updated. But the point is, is that if you're listening to this, go over to Instagram and hit that follow button. Come hang out with us. Thank you. Make good choices. And don't get got. Bye. Okay, hold on, hold on, hold on. I'm dumb. I'm dumb. I'm dumb, I'm dumb, I'm dumb. Rewind. (laughs) That really is a happy ending to an otherwise tragic story from so long ago. I'm all about the happy endings. Well... Gee, I wonder if that's going in the outtakes. Some of the guys it's were all coming back to younger. Me now. Yeah. It's all coming back, back to, to me now. now. We miss you, Celine. Let's why don't you make a comeback for us? We could use some Celine Dion in our lives, right? Okay, maybe not. So what do you say? Should we get into it? Let's Let's, let's, yes, let's get into it. <laughs> that was, was an awkward pause. <laughs> Sorry. Um, my, my phone, my phone started vibrating and um, I thought I had put it on Do Not Disturb, but apparently not because oh. it started vibrating and I was wondering <laughs> what the heck was going on. <laughs> so what was it? So Yes. Huh? <laughs> <Nothing>. <laughs> oh gosh.